Hello and welcome to the Swimming Ideas Podcast. My name is Jeff and I will be your host for today. This is episode number 57, an interview with Megan Joel Bear from TheMindSide.com. That's right. Today we are talking to Megan Joel Bear, who is a mental skills consultant at The MindSide, who brings a passion for understanding how to gain competitive advantages in early athletic experiences. Follow us on our conversation on how she recommends that you interact with your swimmers in a competitive and learning environment. That's right. Today we are talking to Megan Jolbert from TheMindSide.com. Now, our conversation is a great one. I think you're going to love the information that Megan talks about, and it's going to echo a lot of the things that we've been talking about on this podcast. You're going to focus on things like uh, the effective communication or effective practice. You're going to learn about how uh, it's good to be uncomfortable because you want to become comfortable in the uncomfortable moments. We're going to talk about how you as a swim coach can connect with parents uh, and involve them in the process. Uh, I'm sure most of us have had those experiences where there's a swim parent sitting in the stands and they're talking to their kids during practice. We're going to look at what you should do as a swim coach and how to handle that situation. Uh, Megan has some really good uh, tips that you can go through that will give you more information and how to run your swim practices. Uh, we're going to talk about how it's safe to fail and why you should encourage failure in your swim lessons, um, even in your swim teams. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, and we're going to talk about the stigma that comes with failure as well and how you can address it. I, again, I want to aim your attention particularly to, uh, how she talks about strategies you can use for meeting parents and engaging parents on your swim team. I also want you to aim your attention to how she talks about um, being uncomfortable, why it's okay to fail, and the idea of the championship mindset and championship habits, specifically where she's talking about allowing people to struggle and not necessarily coming to their aid immediately. And she gives some good tips on how you can do that in swim lessons and how you can do that as a swim coach. Now, I'm really excited about this conversation, and uh, I know that you're going to get a lot of value out of it, too. With that said, I'm still looking for more people to do uh, interviews. I'd like to talk to you about your swim lessons and your swim lesson program or talk to you about your swim coaching and how you can uh, help us as aquatic professionals be better instructors and be better teachers. You know, I'm really excited to have conversations with you, and I know that our audience is going to like that as well. You can connect with me, Jeff, at Swimming Ideas. That's J-E-F-F at SwimmingIdeas.com. Or you can connect with me on Twitter at Swimming Ideas or on Facebook, again, Swimming Ideas. Now, without too much more ado, let's get started. We're going to have our conversation with Megan Jolbert. Here we go. And welcome to the Swim Ideas Podcast. This is episode number 57, and I have Megan Jolbert with us. Uh, she is a mental skills consultant for the MindSide, who brings a passion for understanding how to gain competitive advantages as part of an early athletic experiences through proper structure and coaching of athletes. As a former competitive athlete, Megan understands the need for proper mental skills training from program implementation instead of waiting until athletes feel it is needed. Megan earned an undergraduate degree in psychology from Auburn University, where she worked with the men's basketball program, from coaches to athletes and administrative personnel. She went on to earn a master's in science degree in sports psychology and motor behavior from the University of Tennessee, focusing on foundations for elite mental performance among athletes across the lifespan. During her time in Tennessee, Megan worked with the men's golf team. She also served as a coach for two girls' teams for a local preparatory school, applying her training as a mental coach with that of serving as a coach to maximize performance and athletic development. Megan is passionate about coaching developmental and program implementation, as well as developing the athlete's competitive mindset. 
From her own experiences as a competitive athlete to serving as a coach to her educational background with principles of human performance, Megan will help those athletes who are looking to gain a mental edge. Megan, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, you are affiliated with the mindside.com. Can you give us some information about where you started swimming and where you are now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, I grew up, um, really just all over in athletics. Um, I've always enjoyed swimming, but I never did it at a competitive level. Um, really the first time that I got into, um, working with swimmers, I was a lifeguard. Oh, it's been, it's been several years ago. Um, and I, I was a lifeguard for five years. And while I was there, I, um, helped run the swimming lessons and whether they were individual lessons or group lessons. And I did, and I did that every summer for, for five years. And, and then, Obviously, I went on, you know, to Auburn, to Tennessee, and then started working with athletes of all ages, just on middle skills development. And I wound up in Birmingham, and and I've worked with swimmers just about across all ages, young ones in the developmental, but then also up to collegiate swimmers as well. Um, and and more so now, I'm working either with coaches or with the athletes on, on their mental skills development versus the actual physical things that they're doing in the pool, but being, they overlap so much. It, it seems the more invested I get in coaching and looking at how to be a good instructor and a good coach, getting that, you know, that mental focus, the reaching, the effort at practice is a big challenge yeah. because we can, yeah, we can do, these repetitive dry practices, but if they're not motivated or interested or, or mentally into it, then it's not going to be as effective. What, what do you do now? You know, what is your training and your schooling and your work now? How do you get towards what, how do you, what do you do for that mental state? I guess that's a broad question, but, um, you know, kind of, <laughs> uh, like maybe like a basic rundown or where do you begin? Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, well, really, I'll tell you this. It, it is a broad question, but it begins the same way every single time. It's wherever, if I'm sitting down with an individual athlete in my office, if I'm out at um, the pool um, for for practice, if I'm um, just talking with a coach, it starts with what do you need? Where, what level are you at? What level are you at competitively? What level are you at mentally? Um, where you're typically, I'll tell you this, most of the people that in, at the beginning, when I start working with, whether it's an individual or a team or a coach, it's, it's usually centered around a crisis moment, a problem they've got um, for, for other athletes. Maybe it's um, that, that they're really just, they, they can't focus in practice or, or they can't figure out what's wrong with their stroke or that, that panic moment. That's usually how it starts. Um, and then once we kind of get through that panic moment, um, we start to build really the skills that are necessary in order to succeed in the level they're in, whether it's an eight-year-old and, and we're just trying to learn these certain strokes or whether we're, we're um, a little bit more at an advanced level and we're trying to succeed at that level and then even make it to the next one. So it really always begins at, okay, what, what's the challenge you're facing right now? And, and how do we overcome that? How do we overcome that in, in, in the way that we're practicing? I'll tell you this, um, a, a lot of times when I'm working with swimmers, the biggest challenge is how, how are we practicing? Because you can swim the yardage, you can, you can do, and, and even if we're putting down to, to the, even the youngest of age, when we're teaching those swim lessons, we're teaching them how to blow bubbles, we're teaching them how, how to do their kicks on the wall, how to then actually scoop. So if we're, if we're teaching a certain stroke. Mm -hmm. I know we taught it, um, like ice yep. cream scoops, that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm glad to know that somebody else does it that way. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I'm very glad to know that it's the same across the board, yep. but, but regardless of what level it is, how you practice physically, but also mentally is really what helps you learn the physical skills you're doing, but then also learn to compete at the, the level you're in in the next level. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of hearing that 
the how we teach our our beginners, so our eight year olds, and even our elite athletes. So even our age group swimmers that are going to state, or our high school age swimmers that are going to junior nationals or Olympic trials. It all begins with how are we learning at practice, and what is our mental state at practice or at swim lessons or uh, when you're training. Um, is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. I mean, for instance, if we're, I mean, and this is even, this is at the youngest age and even beyond that, um, as a, as a, if we're looking at it from a coaching perspective, as an mm-hmm. instructor, um, you, you have to keep your, your swimmers engaged, right? Yep. That can be very challenging no matter what age you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that we just go in there all willy nilly and have, and, and let them just goof off. And because you know that, that athletes, anyone wants to enjoy what they're doing. Um, I'll tell you this, there are always going to be portions of, of practice, the skill work, um, the little things, the little behaviors and, and habits that we, the good habits we have to create. That's never going to be as fun as the competitive like environment. But if you build up to it and you put, um, uh, I'll tell you most, any, just about anyone loves to be challenged. Even if you're at a younger age, loves to be challenged, loves to learn, loves to learn new things. They don't like repetitive. Um, so if we can always have a practice that has a little bit of challenge where they have to, they don't just easily get success. They have to, they have to work for it. And, and that way at the end of practice, they, or at the end of the week, maybe it was a multiple practice, um, multiple practices where they were struggling a little bit. They get that feeling, that sense of accomplishment. Um, that's how we like to keep our athletes engaged is through, yes, I want it to be fun. Absolutely. But I'll tell you this, most, even at the youngest age, um, at the most elite level, Fun is competitive. Fun is a little bit of a challenge. Challenging yet achievable tasks. Um, but I'll tell you this, there's also, there are also times when, when you have to worry about, when you have to be teaching mechanics. Um, and, and when you teach mechanics, it's, it, it's never nearly as fun as it is if we're, <laughs> if we're going out there and racing, right? Yeah. So do 100 arm strokes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. And and what's so funny about that is that it's you know it's not very fun. And then also, um, swimmers can get caught up going through the motions. And typically, when they're going through the motions, um, they start to form really bad habits. And mm-hmm. when those bad habits continue, then all of a sudden, three weeks later, we're seeing a breakdown in mechanics. And yes. well, why do we see a breakdown in mechanics? Because it was so monotonous, and we continue to just go through the motions. Um, I'll tell you this, typically what we do, whether you're teaching um, or, or adjusting um, how they're swimming or they're um, trying to fix their stroke, anything like that, we typically tell them, I want you to think about two to three key things that you have to do with your body in order to be successful with what your coach is telling you. Two to three key things. Once you come up with those two to three key things, keep them simple, most most broken down simple thing you need. So for, for instance, maybe, maybe if we're going from the very little, the most little level, maybe if we're trying to blow bubbles, we're blowing out the candle. So blow, you breathe in, blow out. Mm -hmm. Simple, right? Breathe in, blow out. And that's all I want you to think about. And then over time, if you think about breathe in, blow out, breathe in, blow out. And then when we're, when we're swimming and we're thinking about the breathing, um, and, and we start to get, that cadence, um, it becomes more natural. And then you can trust that while you're swimming, you can breathe the correct way. And that's just broken down to the most simple things. But if you have those simple two to three, what happens is they focus on so many, I need to fix this and I need to do this with my hand and do this with my arm and these with my legs. It's way too much to think about at one moment. It's mental overload. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but, it, but if you have it broken down into those two to three keys, even if it's the most simple task, two to three keys, what do I need to do? Not what I don't need to do. What do I need to do to be successful? It makes it so much easier than when you have to, if we're building up to, to a meet and we're racing, to be able to trust those, those mechanics because you've been training them. Well, that was wonderful. And 
entirely validating. Um, to go back, kind of reiterate what you just said here, uh, the the challenge in a in a lesson, in a practice, in an activity. It, and I actually talked about this in episode number fifty six, the previous podcast, was introducing challenges into your swim lessons and your practices and it's exactly like you just said and i feel so great because i totally agree um you know (laughs) (laughs) well good i'm glad i'm glad you're doing it that's that's fantastic yeah and and, you know having challenge is interesting and like you said it can be and at a high level it can be maybe it's sprints on a certain time interval that not everyone's going to be able to do, but the team tries as much as they can. And the fun and the challenge is, did you do six or did you do eight? You know, and for beginners, it can be, can you do a flip or can you do a handstand that turns into a flip? Because not everyone can do those things. Uh, But the challenge of it makes it interesting and rewarding when you do finally accomplish it. Um, I I think that's, and there's a, go ahead. No, well, I was gonna say, and I think that's a fantastic uh, concept. That that and, and and also in addition to the challenging, I was thinking while you were talking, you know, the way you're describing a practice or a swim lesson is have your activities designed where they can the, the participants can do it, like they can do a front glide with your help. But we're gonna go the next step and start asking that we're gonna reach it just beyond their capability and say, okay, now. Maybe the first body length you don't do with support, you do without support. And that's just beyond their level of comfort. And that's how they learn new skills is that you challenge them with this slightly more difficult skill or the next stage, the next progressive step. And then we're always reaching. And we can take that from our swim lessons and we can apply that in our coaching and our swim practices. You know, we can do... Um, a set or a drill or a mechanical thing or a game even that is just beyond their level of ability. So they have to mentally focus and reach towards that goal. Um, does that kind of echo what you were saying as well? Or, or, or am I Absolutely. off base on this? Okay, it's, great. No, that, that's right. And, and the flip side to that is, is that they're not always going to be successful. Yes. And that's where it can become challenging as a coach. Um, I, I know it. It, just from uh, a coaching perspective of just my own experiences, mm-hmm. there were times um, when I, it, it, you, when something finally clicks for an athlete, when you've been working on it for so long, and they finally reach that level of success, even if it's the the, the smallest of things, it can be so rewarding as a coach to see them feel that way, have that sense of accomplishment. But it can be just as devastating to watch them struggle and, mm-hmm. and not get what they get what they really want, whether that's a time in a race, whether that's um, a certain, not be able to do the, the, the stroke in the way that they need to. Um, it, it can be devastating as a coach. And, and part of making a swim lesson, um, a practice more challenging is that you also are at risk that, that one, the, the athletes, the swimmers, they have to be vulnerable and, and allow themselves to be vulnerable to take that risk. Okay. But then being vulnerable can also lead to failure. Do you have anything that you work with your clients or your coaches or, or people that you're athletes even to handle that failure or to uh, earn the, tr- as a coach, earn the trust of your athlete so that that failure isn't as devastating? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first part is, I mean, just being aware of, of the moment where usually failure before failure, quote failure, we'll call it failure. I don't, I see it as, as a progression, but to success, but, um, in the moment failure, failure, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt here. Can you, can you go into that? Why? Why do you think it's a progression to success? Because I'm of the same mindset here, but I want to know why you're saying, let's not term it failure, because I think the words that we use are important. Like, I don't say the word try at practice, I say make an attempt. So why are we rephrasing failure into a progression into success? I completely agree with that 100% because language is extremely powerful mm-hmm. and there is a negative connotation with the term, the word failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
if you look at any of the the most talented, the most elite athletes, but not just athletes, people in business, coaches, um, anyone, they have not always been successful in everything they've done in life. They've had to push for it. They've had to try. They've had to work hard. And then they've had moments where they took a step back. And really the way that um, an improvement in performance works is we kind of I could draw a picture for you, I would, but it's similar to how a roller coaster goes. Over time, you're, you're going to have good days, and then you're going to have bad, bad days and good days and bad days. And that's how, that's the natural progression of training and improvement. But over time, what you see, even though it's a roller coaster, the typical trend is that you're improving. The challenge is, is on those worst days, when you feel as if you failed, you feel that it's the worst you've ever been. But the lessons that are taught in failing or in making a mistake or in having a bad meet, having um, a practice where, where maybe your energy level wasn't as high as it needed to be, and then the next day you didn't feel good either, those moments, most athletes begin to have a panic and they, and they get caught in it. But at the same time, being able to work through it, then one it makes you that much more appreciative of the moments when you feel successful or when you feel that you've, that you've improved. Also, it teaches you to be more prepared for the next possible mistake, possible failure, possible bad day that might come. Most of the athletes that I work with, in fact, when um, a, a dancer that I was working with just this morning, all we spoke about was how can we prepare for the unknowns? Ooh. Because there will be unknowns. Mm-hmm. It's the same as, I don't know if you've ever heard the story um, about Michael Phelps preparing for um, for the, the Olympics, and he would visualize himself getting water in his goggles, and he counted out the strokes. And, and he and in the moment, when it happened, he was prepared for it. Wow, that's because a great most, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, most, here's the thing. As a coach and as as an athlete, Everyone wants it to be perfect. You set up, you set it up, and in, 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 you set up your practice plan. You want it to go exactly how it's supposed to go, and then for some reason you have to stop and you have to spend more time here. Most people don't plan for for mistakes to happen. Most people don't plan for for a, a bad day, a challenging moment, them them struggling on something that should have been easy. Mm-hmm. And when they don't prepare for it, and they don't they, they don't think about it. The mo- the natural reaction is panic. How when you can, prepare for the unknowns? Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, how can we prepare? Like, because we're talking about why it's okay to fail and getting um, understanding that it's going to happen both at a competition and as a process of learning. So, how can we, as coaches, as uh, aquatic professionals, how can we um, build that into our practices? What kind of tactics can we do to prepare our athletes for this? I mean, you're talking about uh, Michael Phelps and he's envisioning in the future, and that's part of the, the process of, of deliberate practice, right? You're, you're yeah. envisioning, and it almost has the same um, effect almost as physically doing it and mentally, you know, mentally imagining yourself going through the action. It, it can be just as effective in some cases. And how... I was going to say, how can we as coaches give our athletes, give our participants an opportunity to do, to prepare for failure? I think, I think the first, I mean, one way is, is through preparing just in general, um, figuring out what for each individual swimmer for each, I mean, for maybe it's, if it's at a younger age, maybe it's for you, what you could think through, what would really rock them? What would really shake them? Is it, I mean, is it, for instance, getting water in their goggles? <laughs> is, it, is it, for instance, if, it, if we're out of meat, is it, is it looking up and seeing, okay, the, the split was not what I expected it to be, okay? Mm-hmm. Is it seeing that this person is ahead of me when really, are you kidding me? I should be beating them, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. will really rock you, shake you? And, and then it's all about accepting that regardless, you're still going to have that panic moment. We actually had um, here, I, I don't know if you saw these these videos you were talking about on our YouTube um, mm-hmm. series, but we had a, uh, before, a before you series. go there, the website mm-hmm. mindside.com and then slash ripside, riptide, I think. Uh, yes. and, yep, and then you also have a YouTube channel. 
uh, which has it managing the riptide, correct? Exactly, yes. Yep. And and so just for, for the people who haven't seen, um, basically what um, riptide is, water splits, mm-hmm. The, the on the outside it's calm, up the center it pulls you out. Most people, even though they know what to do in a riptide, when they get caught in it, uh, they have that moment of panic and they start to try to swim back to the shore as quickly as possible. And what happens is the water pulls them back out. Mm-hmm. It's the same as if you're caught in a riptide um, in, in your sport. When when you have that that I should be doing this. I should be better. I, um, I, it's, I, I should be, even if at the youngest age, I should be in a better mood. This is like, why, why I can't do this. I'm frustrated. You get that sense of frustration and you try harder. You work harder. You try to get back to, this has got to work. I've got to make this happen. And it gets worse and, and things start to break down. Technique starts to break down. Um, but the way to work through a riptide is you've got to settle down first swim a few feet to the side, and then you can get to the shore. And so that's what we teach is you have to be aware of what's going to shake you. You have to be aware of the unknowns that really matter to you. And then we have to come up with a plan for how to attack them. And then we have to practice it. Okay, so if something's going to shake you, then then how, how are we going to do this in practice? And then as, as, a, as a coach as well, it comes on the back end of what are, what are we praising? Are, are we praising just when things are done right? Or are we praising the effort level? Mm. Are, we, are we focusing on improvement and, and, and letting the, the swimmers know that improvement takes time and everyone is on a different path? Absolutely. Not oh. everyone's going to get it at the same time. True. And, and I really like what you just said right there is praising the effort, not, and not always praising when they did it well or correctly. I mean, you should, I, I think, do that as well, but the effort is what's the key here. And then, uh, I, that was, that was great. That was, that really resonates and is something that, USA Swimming promotes, USA Swimming Sports Consultants, when they give their effective coaching talk, they talk about praising the effort and not praising um, the intelligence or the talent. Right. And and some people, it's especially I've found with with, um, coaches who haven't been, uh, who haven't, don't have as much experience. Um, they'll, they, they want to come out and be hard and not be too soft on them and, and push them and push them because, I mean, I'll, I'll admit when I, when I was younger, I was, you know, pushed very, very hard, mm-hmm. right? And, and being challenged is not a bad thing, but praising effort is not being soft either. True. Being able to, to tell a swimmer, an athlete of any kind, I loved what you did there. I love that you've been working all day on trying to fix this. Now, sometimes maybe we're trying too hard and it's getting worse, but I, I love the effort you gave. And, and now we're going to, we're going to keep working on, on these three things on this one thing. Uh, but I, because the challenge is, is when we don't praise the good that happens, when we don't acknowledge it until it's a, a finished product, what they begin to focus on is only on the corrections they need to make and not on the things that allow them to do, to do and perform well. So like so if, if coaches, go ahead. I was going to say, so if they uh, get water in their goggles, but they still get their best time, it's not, they, they may not realize that it was the effort they put in all, you know, at practice for the last two, three months and how they visualize swimming with their goggles full of water, they're just going to see the result and do the minimum to get to that result. And when they fail, it's going to be devastating because they're used to being rewarded for the result, not the effort that got them there in the first place. Is that kind of recapping? Yes. And in that situation, uh, of course, I'm going to, if you, if you got your best time, I am going to celebrate the heck out of that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm also going, my first response is going to be, you got waters and water in your goggles, and I know it freaked you out. Mm-hmm. But look at how you responded. You responded that way because of all the training you've put in. I am so proud of you. And look, you even got a, got a best time. But praising that, praising the response, the way that they were able to work through it, 
that that's what allows them to work through another challenging situation sometime down the road. So acknowledging that challenge and then identifying the effort that they put in to overcome that challenge, and that's what's going to lead to better and more success later on. Right. Yes, and, and even if they don't, if they don't get a best time, if it's if it was a really horrible swim, but they still responded the right way, then okay, acknowledge that you know that that mm-hmm. kind of stunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally understand yep. why you're upset, but also notice the way that you responded. Mm-hmm. And now we're better prepared for this next time. Yeah, you know, and I've had that conversation on the pool deck at a swim meet. I've watched a eight-year-old who was in the 50 freestyle or breaststroke and just wanted to get a regional cut and they didn't and it was because they had a sloppy uh, underwater breaststroke pullout we call it a ubp and they they knew it they knew it coming out and and they came over to me after the after their event and i was like you know you missed it by like a second you know, this is the last chance meet, you know, it's kind of devastating, but, uh, you had this, the first, the first streamline, the first underwater pressure pull, it was beautiful. And then something happened after the, you know, right at the end of the first 25 and then your UBP wasn't, you skipped it. You didn't do it. It was jerky. It was slow. And that, that one second difference there kind of caused cause the rest of your event was great. And, and I asked, you know, what happened? And she, she said, well, I got water in my goggles and, um, you know, I, it, I couldn't do it. And I, I, I lost my breath. I had to breathe. I couldn't. I was like, you know, that, that happens. You know, we have to prepare for that. You know, I'm sorry that happened, but we can do better in the future. And I'm glad that even despite the fact that you had water in your goggles and despite the fact that it freaked you out and you had to take a breath and you interrupted your pullout, the rest of your swim was beautiful. Uh, your finish was great. You know, all these positive things that t- spoke to the effort despite that one mistake. Um, and she went on to, and, and, you know, I, I think our relationship was such that we had, uh, you know, supporting the effort and stuff going forward. But that happens exactly what you just said. You know, that those things happen. We want to, uh, to speak to the effort and speak to the challenge and how they overcome and how you're proud of them or happy that you saw um, the response to it. Um, yeah, I love that. Great. Absolutely love that. I, I want to kind of move on, uh, kind of aim our focus a little bit here. So we've been talking about why it's okay to fail. Um, there are a few other things that I think that you specialize in. And, uh, if you could speak a little more to it, uh, building a mindset for success through championship habits, what kind of habits can I as a coach or me as a swim lesson, manager how can i get my beginners to start having that championship mindset right right and there there are multiple things that that really go into that at at the most elite level but i do i agree with the fact that even at the youngest level it's going to be a little bit of a different feel but you can start creating those habits early so that then later when you're faced with those challenges, they're better prepared for them. I mean, for instance, the, the having a challenging yet achievable practice, um, the, the allowing a little bit of struggle without immediately trying to fix a problem that a swimmer is having, having for, for coaches, especially and instructors, um, it's very easy to want to come to the rescue. Mm-hmm. immediately Can you talk and that about even that comes more? for parents too yeah of course <laughs> of course well you see you see your athlete struggling and and you want to teach them well if you just do it this way if if you would just do this i need you i need you to uh, sometimes it's when you watch them in the pool just take a step back and see if they figure it out themselves now give them that opportunity to be uncomfortable for a certain period of time. What we find is that if you allow just anyone in general to be uncomfortable in a situation like that, over it's, they're going to be miserable at first. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to um, lash out in different ways. But eventually, if you continue to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and continue to put your swimmers in uncomfortable situations, they become comfortable somewhat 
with them over time because of the level of exposure that you have. So if that means that, that we're having for, if it's a little bit of an older age, a little bit more of a high intensity type, type practice type, or even type lesson where we're moving around quickly, younger kids are used to getting distracted very easily. They're used to, um, to being able to have a little bit of free time. So maybe it's that in order to make them uncomfortable, we have more of a structured practice where they're moving more frequently. They're getting in the pool. They're doing this. They're, and it's more of a high intensity appropriate to the age level. Mm-hmm. At first, they're not going to, there are going to be a few that don't get the picture that <laughs> will struggle at first. And maybe it's, maybe it's because of the physical fatigue, maybe it's because of the mental fatigue. Um, but over time they start to get grow accustomed to it. They start to get more comfortable in that situation. And, and, and to, um, I have a, I actually have a, a swimmer that I, that I work with now. I've been working with her for a little over a year and and she is she's about to um she's a high school senior is graduating and swimming collegiately and and it's funny because I found out about six months working in that after every set she was waste she was getting out of the pool and and going to speak to her coach mm-hmm. after every set. She'd get out, talk to him, hey what do I need to do with this, what do I need to do with this, to talk how did this look? And so the the challenge was, was, well, one, she was spending so much time out of the water, Mm -hmm. right? But then two, she was always looking to him for feedback instead of judging her own swimming. And when you're swimming in a race, when you're, when, um, when you're under like a pressure situation, you have to be able to have that internal judgment. So we weren't training that. And so I asked her as a coach, I said, look, keep her in the pool. You can give her some feedback, but I keep it limited. Ask her. If she asks you, you ask her what she thinks. Mm. That was uncomfortable. She yeah. was not happy with it one bit. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> one it, bit at all. I, and I really but, like, I like that. I like how, cause sometimes as a coach, I'll say, well, what do you think? What did you, how did you feel? Like, you know, play the, the Socratic method, ask questions to promote learning. Well, what do you think is the right answer? What should you do? Or when they keep coming to you, oh my gosh, do I do an open turn or a flip turn? Well, what do you think you should do instead of always being, so kind of encouraging that self correction, that self using the tools they have and the knowledge they have to answer their own questions. Is that kind of? Does that make sense? I think. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's it's all about being self-aware um, mm-hmm. and then being able to to come to solutions yourself. Now, at the same time as a coach, I mean, you you lay out a blueprint, mm-hmm. you point them in the right direction. You always oh the ask the right questions. If you are asking the right questions, you can you can lead an athlete to to just about any solution. And it's coming from them, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, because it's coming from them, they're more bought into it. So another one of your focuses, Megan, is the uh, with your work at themindside.com is uh, coaching and parenting in the 21st century athlete. Uh, what can we do to better communicate with our parents, and uh, how the, how can that affect our swimmers? Uh, well, I'll tell you this: this is. One of the when I go and um, and speak with a coach and and, and work with a, a team um, or an organization, one of the first things that they ask us is, "Can you talk to our parents?" Mm-hmm. And at, at regardless what age it is, but especially at the youth level, parents are the ones who are driving their their athletes to lessons to practice. Parents are the ones who are in the car with them after a meet. Um, parents are the ones who are at home reinforcing um, what you're teaching every day. And so parents are crucial to the development of any athlete, um, regardless of what sport it is. And so we do a lot of parent workshops. And, and typically um, what we teach for coaches as far as getting the parents involved is to use them as a resource. Um, have, a, have a meeting, whether it's a, a swim team, whether it's lessons, ha- have a meeting up front at the beginning where you Tell the parents your coaching philosophy. What this is why what I do. 
this is why I coach the way I coach. If you hear me saying these things, this is what they mean so that they can start to understand you and, and get bought into to what you're teaching, whether that's the actual instructional piece or the life lessons that you're teaching their swimmers. Um, and and let allow them, ask them questions. What do they want out of these lessons? What do they want out of this season? What do they want um, for, for their athlete? Because at the end of the day, they matter because they're, they're spending time with their athletes and, and much more so than you are. And, and so allowing them to get kind of that sounding board where they're able to speak at the beginning of the season, but then also times throughout where if they want to talk, want to talk to you about something, allow them to talk to you about something. Um, if they want to, I mean, you know, within limits, of course, um, but send out, I've also told coaches, send out every other week, just a short email about this is what we've what we're working on the next two weeks. I'd love it if you could reinforce these three key points because you know they're going to go home and talk to their swimmers. Yeah. Of course they are. And so you know, so why not use them? Absolutely. I, I hear a lot of coaches say, and and this is verbatim. Well, the parents just don't get it. They don't understand. And then they'll say, well, it's just a parent education problem. How can uh, you've given us a few tactics here how to overcome that education problem? Do you have any other ways to encourage? Um, can you speak more about why this is important for coaches to be taking the the lead on this and promoting what they want to be done and or promoting uh, what their goals are and how they're going to go about it and what their philosophy is? Can you kind of talk about why that's important for the parents to hear from us? Definitely. I mean, if any any gaps in information that you leave as a coach when you're speaking to parents, any holes, they will fill it with whatever they think is happening. So if they are, I'll tell you, when we used to teach swim lessons, I didn't, we didn't have any of our parents on the pool deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a reason for that. But um, some people will say, okay, no parents on the pool deck, and they'll just flat out say no parents on the pool deck. So then parents are saying, well, why are, why are we not allowed on the pool deck? So I- instead, have that conversation with them. Say, well, the reason we're not going to have anyone on the pool deck, we, we love that you want to support um, your, your swimmers. At the same time, when you are on the pool deck, we're trying, to, we're trying to teach them to be independent in the pool. Not, mm. Maybe not at home, maybe not anywhere else. But we're trying to teach them to be independent in the pool when they're in the pool. And when, when we get them out, when they get out of the ladder and they run over to you every single time after they sw- swam to tell you what they did, uh, that's great that you're there to support them. That's great that they need that. But we can't do that at a meet. We, it, it, it interrupts them being able to actually be independent in the lesson. Mm-hmm. And so we would love for maybe, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have a mock meet. We're, we're going to have a game time um, where we're going to um, have different competitions. And we'd love for you to be out on the pool deck for that. Mm. But during lessons, give them that opportunity because they want to be out there. They want they want to be a part of it. And and as a coach, giving them information, giving them opportunity, most try to shut them out. And I get it. Yep. Uh, there there's some very difficult parents. I I 100% understand it. Mm-hmm. However, the best way to deal with challenging parents is to be upfront and honest with them and have guidelines that are set out. So we aren't on the pool deck during practice. We um, we get to practice this amount of time early because of this X and X reason. Um, give them a reasoning why, and and then also here's a big one. We we tell and and for a younger age it might be we could shorten the time a little bit, but we tell most of our parents don't we don't speak about a competition about our performance until two hours after because Ooh. you're so subjective in that moment mm-hmm. and you and you and, and you want to point out all the things that went wrong or i saw you standing over here distracted before you were about to get on the block well okay even if you see it it's great information mm-hmm. but it can be overloading for the swimmer and right after a, a competition right after a meet it's really important for them to be able to evaluate themselves because too many athletes don't know how to evaluate themselves without getting feedback from someone else and especially swimmers. And that's something we talked about earlier that self 
looking into itself to get better at swimming, where it's not always going to the coach and your example swimmer, your client, always getting out after every practice and going to the coach and getting feedback. It's, it's, this is all tying together, you know, being able to reach and be challenged and then self evaluate on what you need to uh, work on to improve. I'm also hearing that you're saying uh, uh, that if, because we have a parent that will sit in the stands and the kids will watch the parent for feedback during the practice. Oh, did I do this right? What should I do? How do I improve? For the coach, it would be better for them to, you're saying, directly go to that parent and be very honest and upfront and say, here's our training program. Here's what we're trying to do. When you're on the pool deck, it's two cooks are in the kitchen now and we may be giving conflicting things. Um, here are some guidelines and, and, um, structure or uh, expectations for you as a parent that the coach is asking you to do yes i i completely agree you just you have to be um strategic in the way that you that you do that so everyone has their own perspective and and because of from their eyes they think they're doing what's best for their swimmer and so you have to as a coach and and, and this is where it gets challenging and it takes a lot of practice um, you have to have your own guidelines, but then also m- most parents, they want to be involved. Mm-hmm. Give them a way to be involved. Mm-hmm. Now, not on the pool deck is great, um, so maybe there's another way they can be involved. We we really want to start to maybe we back away a little bit where we really want to start teaching your swimmer to be able to evaluate themselves. I love that you're picking up on those things, and, and will you please write them down so that then you can talk to your swimmer later about them because you're you are seeing things from a completely different perspective, and and he he would really benefit from he or she would really benefit from that. Yeah. It's the same as why we tell people to watch film to film things because seeing things from a different perspective it, it's different when you're in there doing it, but from an outside perspective you can see it differently. So they have good things to say most of the time. And, and that's valuable information. So don't shoot down the information. Just um, have a different way of getting that information, a, a different way and an appropriate time of getting that information to the swimmer. And if the coach is talking and involving the parent in their philosophy and in their coaching and where they're going with their progress, with that, like you suggested, that every two weeks email or communication of some kind that says, here's what we're working on, here's what our goals are, then the, that message, whether it's from the parent perspective or the video perspective or the coach perspective, there's three or four different perspectives here. They're all going to be similar in what their focus is and what their scope is because you're having that yeah. conversation. Exactly. And think about it. Everything is proactive versus reactive. Mm. There are going to be certain fires you'll have to put out <laughs> randomly <laughs> But if you can if you can set it up to say okay, it, most coaches focus on I've got my athletes, I've got my swimmers. Well, uh, especially uh, in the youth level, parents are part of that package. So instead of avoiding them, be proactive in the way that you involve them Do instead you, of reactive. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you advocate or have experience with uh, doing this through social media? So maybe it's. Uh, Facebook posts where you, where the coaches are talking about their, um, their plan and their, their philosophy of coaching and how they're going to be using language? Or, uh, have you found that it's better to do it in person or on email? Is there a preferred method or is it, does it make sense just whatever works for the community that you're working with? Yeah, you could do a combination. I mean, I think it, I think the, the biggest message that I can give you in that is don't do it the way that you think it needs to be done. Do it the way that they're going to receive it best. Uh-huh. So if you've got, if you've got a group that's really, really involved and wants to talk all the time. Okay. So I, I would absolutely say upfront, if you can do a parent meeting at the beginning, it's always best to get the expectations out of the way. That way they know your expectations, your philosophy, however you want to put it out there. Um, just keep it simple, of course, so that they get, they, they hear the big stuff, the important things. Um, but then, then they're able to hear it in person and ask questions and they feel like it's for them as much as it is for you and, and the swimmers. Um, but then if, if they're, if they want to speak frequently, okay, put a, 
put do a um a I know I've there are apps where you can group message there and you can send mm-hmm. out lesson plans and things like that. There's also um you could do a Facebook page if they're really active on Facebook and, and where you're putting out and here here's the cool thing too. You could even if you've got that kind of communication with them and it's about education and you need to have parent education, find a video on YouTube, mm-hmm. a short one. That that's entertaining in some aspect. That's teaching what you're trying to teach and put it out there. That, that's, that's that's reinforcing your lesson. So then they watch a video. Maybe maybe you catch three of them, but mm-hmm. maybe one of them was the one you, that was so challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's great advice. Uh, and it's uh, I'm also hearing. And what I would advocate as well is, like just like you said, go to use the medium that you're gonna where your audience is at. So if you're parents are really vested in Facebook and they have, uh, you know, very active, then use Facebook. If they open all of their emails and you've trained them to open emails, send them an email. Um, but and, and do it early and do it proactively and then continue the conversation once you've kind of started it going. Uh, that's good. Do you have any other, uh, we're going to wrap it up in a few minutes here, but do you have any additional uh, things that you'd like to speak to about uh, how we can uh, just be better teachers or better uh, coaches or instructors. Any just general things that you want to add that we may have missed in our conversation so far? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think we touched on this a little bit, but didn't say it directly. Um, just as a as an instructor, as a coach, um, deal with the swimmers that you work with, or if you're if you're coaching another sport, the athletes you work with. As people first, um, it can be easy when you're caught up in a, in, in a lesson plan, when you're caught up in, in what you're trying to teach, that it's challenging to remember each individual athlete is at a different level, psychologically, physically, um, just that day, period, if they're in a good mood or a bad mood. Um, and, and so meeting, understanding them as people first will gain you so many more opportunities to help them grow, not only as people, but as swimmers also. Um, but it takes time and, and it takes a little bit of extra work. Um, but if you love what you do, it's worth it 100%. I, I totally resonate with that. And it's a challenge too, because you can, I can look at my own experience and I'm working with, uh, what we call level three kids where they're learning to turn their head to the side to breathe on front crawl. <laughs> and, and it, it's this, you're laughing because you know how difficult it is because it is such a oh, yeah. physical, classical conditioning type of motion that you just have to do a thousand times. But, you know, and we've touched on this as well. How do you make that interesting? How do you make it challenging without being boring and then not engaging the, the mind into it and the deliberate practice? Um, but there are times when we're doing it and it's like, come on, oh my gosh, just do this. Like, why are you goofing around? And then you, you realize that you're like, oh, we've been doing this for 10 minutes, the same thing over and over again. Let's play a game. Um, you know, let's reset that interest and that, and that, that mental capacity for learning. Let's do something distracting yet fun and effective. And then we'll come back to this again later. And, but, but even on an individual basis, you know, maybe Johnny is jumping around dancing because he is a little bit more advanced than this other kid. And Billy is totally confused because he didn't hear you because he's watching the TV in the background and, and recognizing that they are individuals and not just automatons that will do everything you say at the time you say it is important to kind of realize it. And I confess, I have to realize this at times too. be like, Oh, like I need to recognize they're a part of this lesson it's not just like a radio broadcast where they're receiving whatever I'm sending. They're an equal partner in this. Um, I really yeah, like how you, you framed it that. too. Um, I lo- I, equal partner. I love, love oh, that. Absolutely. Great. And, and I'll tell you this, don't be so hard on yourself as a coach, no matter how many years an instructor, how many years you've been in it, you just the same as the swimmers, the athletes, you will fail. You will struggle. You will have good days and bad days. And that's part of, that's part of the growth that you're going through also. And that's part of the continuous um, attempt to continue to get better. 
<laughs> nice. I like that. Uh, and and I, I like that because I don't necessarily think of that. But everything that we've talked about today can also, you know, we talked a lot of this in the frame of the athlete or the swimmer or the, the learner. But everything we talked about with them and in a large part, if you're li- when you're listening to this podcast, you, you know, our message is for you is how can we as a coach, how can we as a swim instructor or an aquatics professional, how do we get better at teaching and coaching? And we can take these same lessons we've learned today and apply them to our own coaching, you know, being, you know, uh, observing ourselves from outside of the conversation and, and saying, uh, are we making what what mistakes are we making in our coaching here that we can get better results on later just like the athlete in their competition event you know did they forget to do a streamline or are they recognizing that they forgot a streamline so when they hit their flip turn they're going to do it better on the way back and then unfortunately as coaches and as swim instructors we don't have that person always that says that is our our coach right To, to i'm getting kind of deep here with this but um we ought to remember to self-evaluate our own coaching yes. so uh, we can get be better right, at it in the future. Be yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. That's a high note. Let's, let's, uh, uh, end this here. Uh, Megan, can you tell us more about what you're involved with and how we can get in touch with you or, um, just learn more about you? Absolutely. Um, we have, so we're at the mine side is, um, down in Birmingham, Alabama. Now we, I mean, we see individual athletes, teams, coaches, consulting across the board. Um, but we don't just see them locally. I mean, I'll FaceTime with clients all the time. So we can see them all across the U.S. as well. Um, you can find us at themindside.com. It's M-I-N-D-S-I-D-E. And also on Twitter at the Mind Side, and then you can all you're more than welcome to follow um, me on Twitter too. It's M E I G H A N J U L B E R T. Um, we try to post things, videos. I know you saw them, saw, saw mm-hmm. a few of them, um, videos, uh, information as frequently as possible. And I personally, I would love to hear from from any of the listeners with questions or anything that interests them. And what? Uh specifically does do you focus on at the mindset uh so if someone uh, i'm thinking if a, if a club swim team or a aquatic program run by a park district or a private one even what kind of things can they reach out to you for right um so typically when we're working on a bigger scale like that um, we would come in, like I've got a um, a club team that I've worked with here before where I'll consult and talk with the coach um, whenever whenever we get an opportunity to. And then I see a couple of the individual swimmers. But then we've come and done like a team workshop um, on different, just on, di- on your mindset behind the block, um, on overcoming uh, the challenges, the hurdles that, that happen, whether in practice or in competition, um, and work on it on a little bit of a, a team level because there are certain things that everyone's going through. Mm-hmm. They just handle it in, in a little bit of a different way. And so typically that, the, that's how the structure is set up. Then also we, I've got several individuals that, that I'll sit down with too and work on some of the same strategies. Well, that sounds fantastic and and really rewarding. So if you are looking to enhance your game or uh, your athletes and give them an opportunity to learn how to, uh, from a voice different from your own, right? Because as a coach, you can be saying the same thing over and over again. And sometimes (laughs) it simply takes someone else saying the same thing to get the message through. Um, You know, if you want, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, So if you want that, you know, that other advice, reach out to Megan at themindside.com or on Twitter, uh, Megan Jolbert. Um, And we'll put links for all this on our uh, right up here in the show notes. Uh, I just want to thank you, Megan, for joining us today. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, I hope to, you know, follow you and see more of your success with uh, training and consulting. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it, our recording with Megan Jolbert from TheMindSide.com. And 
I really enjoyed this conversation. I thought that we had a lot of different topics covered from why it's okay to fail, how you can engage your parents as part of a swim team, and I think that carryovers into your swim lessons, how you can engage your parents. Uh, specifically, have a meeting with them right up front. Let them know what your philosophy is for your program, what you're going to be doing, what their kids are going to be talking about. And this goes well in hand with our concept of the day two parent guide sheets. Now, these are sheets that we've printed out that have expectations for each level. So for level one, some of the different games they're going to play in the water and how they're going to do their jumps and what we're going to be focusing on. Level two, it's kind of like a breakdown of what's going to happen on the second day of lessons. And this ties into what Megan was saying about how having that communication with your parents and giving them a clear expectation of what's happening is going to make your relationship better with them. Uh, And it's going to involve them in that process because they're going to be interacting with their kids talking about swim lessons, and you want them on your side. Now, you can get more information about Megan at her website, uh, her company's website, themindside.com, and definitely check out our show notes. We'll have links to her uh, contact page there if you want to get in contact with her and start using some of the awesome services that she offers through the Mindside. Uh, With that said, I do want to put out a second call for you. Uh, Are you interested in being on this podcast? Do you want to hear um, or do you want to share your story about swimming and swimming-related skills, uh, whether this is for your swim team or for your uh, swim lessons? Reach out. Let us know. Uh, you can connect with me on Twitter, at Swimming Ideas, or you can send me an email, jeff at swimmingideas.com. Again, thank you for listening, and tomorrow we can teach better lessons together. <laughs>